This morning, I'm going to read a couple of verses of Scripture, and then we're going to have a story from a storybook that expands upon it. So, if you have your Bible or your Bible app, or if you want to grab the black, not the blue hymnal, but the black book in front of you, it's a Bible, we're going to go to 2 Kings chapter 5. If you use one of those black Bibles from the pew, it should be on page 359. I checked a few. Um, One thing we don't normally do these days is hand things out. Um, But we've got a handout, and Karen uh, is back in the back. If you didn't get a handout, I'd love for you to have one, not because they're so spectacular looking, but it'll give you something interactive to do, and I'm going to ask you to do something at the end that that's based on. All right. So, page 359, 2 Kings chapter 5. I'm going to read two verses, and then we'll listen to the story. Oftentimes, we rise for the reading of Scripture. This morning, I'd just like you to sit, and I'd like you to focus on what God has to say to you as I pray. God, thank you for delivering your word, for preserving your word, for giving us the gift of being able to read it in our own language. And I ask that it wouldn't just be words, but that you would bring it to life in our understanding and that you would allow us to do something with it. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 1. Now, Naaman... Okay, I'd like... I'm, I'm going to stop here. How many people would prefer I just say Naaman, which is how we heard it in Sunday school, those of us who are extra church? And how many prefer Naaman? Okay, we're evenly split, so I'll probably go back and forth. Now, Naaman was, haha, commander of the army of the king of Aram. That's Syria to you and me. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Verse 14. So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him, and his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy, presumably freshly out of the bath. But hear the word of the Lord. Okay, now what we have is the barest skeleton of a story, right? We've got a great man but he's got a problem, a terrible disease, and then God fixes it, all right? Pretty bare story. I'd like you to hear the rest of the story as told by the Jesus Storybook Bible. This is one we use in children's ministries a lot, and we like it. If you compare the two, you'll be able to contrast them. You'll find that there are differences, including the storybook Bible author has added some detail that isn't there in Scripture, and I'll mention a couple of things. But it's based on God's Word, so we're not taking this as Scripture. Think of it more like about a a four-and-a-half-minute sermon. Does that make sense? Can we do that? This means yes, that means no. Okay, more nods than shakes. So, the Jesus Storybook Bible, every story whispers his name, a little girl servant and the proud general. Let's play that video. Zonda Kids presents the Jesus Storybook Bible. 
Every story whispers his name. Written by Sally Lloyd-Jones and read by David Suchet. A Little Servant Girl and the Proud General Naaman was a very important man in a very important army of a very important country. So you see, he was very, very, very important. But Naaman was sick. He had leprosy, which is a nasty thing that stops you from feeling anything. Bits of you fall off without you noticing, like bashed fingers and squished toes. It might sound funny, but it wasn't. And Naaman certainly wasn't laughing. There was no cure. It never went away. And in the end, it killed you. Naaman needed help. Now, there was a little slave girl who worked for Naaman, and she knew someone who could help him. But there was a problem. Naaman was her enemy. Not long before, Naaman had led an army raid on her home in Israel. He had killed her whole family, carried her off to Syria, and made her into his slave. Every night she cried herself to sleep. She had lost everything. Why would she, of all people, want to help Naaman? Didn't she hate him and want to hurt him back? Didn't she want to make him pay for the wrong he'd done? Well, that's what you would expect. But instead of hating him, she loved him. Instead of hurting him back, she forgave him. I want Naaman to get well, she said to her mistress. There's a man in Israel called Elisha who can heal him. I'll go, said Naaman, loading up his wagons and putting on his flashing armour. But I'll go to the palace because that's where someone important like me gets healed. So he hurried off to Israel and went straight to the king. My healing, please, he announced. Well, I, I can do lots of things, the king replied, but only God can heal. Just then, a message from Elisha arrived. Send Naaman here, it read. So Naaman hurried off to Elisha's house. But Elisha didn't even come out and greet him. He just sent a servant instead. Doesn't Elisha realize who I am? Naaman thought. But what the servant said next made him even crosser. Wash in there, he said. Just wash, Naaman laughed. In that slimy, stinky river? He looked around to see if this was some kind of joke. It wasn't. Any person can wash in a river, he thought. I am Naaman. I am important. I should do something important so God will heal me. And he rode off in a rage. Of course, you and I both know that's not how God does things. All Naaman needed was nothing. It was the one thing Naaman didn't have. God knew that Naaman was even sicker on the inside than he was on the outside, that Naaman was proud. He thought he didn't need God. His heart didn't work properly. It couldn't feel anything. You see, Naaman had leprosy of his heart. God was not only going to heal Naaman's skin, he was going to heal his pride. Naaman finally agreed to wash in the river. And 
Instantly, his skin became smooth like a baby. Naaman wanted to pay Elisha. God healed you. You can't pay, Elisha said. It's free. And so it was that a very sick man was healed, all because of a little servant girl who forgave him. God knew sin was like leprosy. It stopped his children's hearts from working properly, and in the end it would kill them. Years later, God was going to send another servant to forgive as she did, to forgive all of God's children and heal the terrible sickness in their hearts. Their hearts were broken, but God can mend broken hearts. All right. How'd you like the story? <laughs> so uh, David Suchet's voice is a lot nicer than mine, so I, I really I liked it. And there are a lot of things I like about the story, but it's not Scripture. I mentioned that. There are a couple of things I want to point out. At the beginning of the story, uh, it adds some detail about what leprosy was. And the odd thing is that the word in Hebrew that's translated as leprosy, it says it in the New International Version, it can mean any kind of skin ailment. And so Naaman's problem was his, his skin had lost all its pigmentation. He was whiter than me, and that's, that's not good news, right? So it, it wasn't the, the kind of pockmarked or, or pustuled person that, that you saw in the storybook. But the issue is the same. He's got a condition that's a problem, and it's going to continue to be a problem for him unless God intervenes. So, yeah, she added some detail that wasn't there. She embellished it a little bit to make the story more interesting. The storybook version says that Naaman had killed the girl's family, um, and that's not what 2 Kings 5 says. It doesn't say that. Now, why, why did Sally Lloyd-Jones do that? I think, it was, I think it was because this is the world in which the little girl and Naaman are living. It's not like those from Aram, from Syria, came into Israel and said, oh, excuse me, would anyone like to volunteer to be servants in our households? No. We're living in this era in a time when people come through and they murder, they steal, they loot, they burn, and they kidnap. And that's the reality that this little girl is in, and yet look at her attitude as the story highlights. So the writer's right, this kind of thing was common, even though Scripture itself is silent on the details that, that the storyteller is adding. Third thing I'm going to point out is, uh, along these lines, it says, instead of hating him, she loved Naaman. What Scripture said is she'd been taken captive by raiders. This country where uh, Naaman, ha, I oscillated again, uh, was a general, okay? So, they're enemies, but the little girl wished that Naaman would see God's prophet and be healed. So, 2 Kings 5 doesn't say the little girl loved Naaman. In a sense, 2 Kings 5 shows that the little girl loved Naaman. So why do I point these things out? 
Because if you hang your hat on details that aren't there, you can run into trouble when you interpret the Bible. But if we treat these as color in a story version of Scripture and go back to Scripture for what God really said, how far God was willing to go in describing things for us, it can be helpful to have a story that, that gives us illustrations. Here's two things that the little girl demonstrates she knows. She knew something about God, what he could do through his prophet. And the second thing is she wanted her master to receive God's goodness. She knew something about God, and she wanted it for her master. Another way of saying these two things is she knew God's power. I'm going to go Tim for a moment. Say power. Okay. Wow, that was, that was good, front row. She wanted it, secondly, to benefit someone she could legitimately call an enemy. Ooh. Well, I'm suddenly called to a higher standard of living than I'm naturally inclined to. I don't know about you. The young Israelite girl, stolen from her own country and working in this enemy country, knows about God's power, knows who God's prophet is back at home. She doesn't think that what has happened to her means that God is silent, that God is indifferent, that God is absent. In fact, she seems pretty certain that he's there, that he's powerful, and that he's got a plan. That's exciting to me. Because I don't know about you, while I was driving 13 hours in rain and past traffic accidents on the way down to San Diego last weekend, I was not excited about my prospects. It's nice to know that there's a God out there who can use good circumstances and bad circumstances, not only for his glory, but for the benefit of other people. All right. The beautiful thing is that Naaman believes her. He takes her at her word. And the, the text, 2 Kings 5, says he goes first to his king, and he says, I'm, I've got a plan to go to this other country and consult them for a healing. And the king says, yeah, that's a great idea. In fact, let me write you a LinkedIn recommendation for the era. So he goes over to Israel, and he sees the king. Something the storybook version doesn't communicate that the text actually does is the panic that the king of Israel experiences when a general of a neighboring country that has been raiding his country, a general appears with chariots and wagons and his whole retinue of people, servants in his glittering armor and finery, and he presents a letter from his king and it says, hey, this is my guy, heal him of his skin disease. This has fortunately never happened to me. Back when I was working in IT, lots of people wanted me to pull out a miracle, but it usually wasn't from somebody who could use it as a pretext to invade and kill me. You follow? And that's how the king of Israel sees it. He goes, wait, I can't heal. I can't heal diseases. Newsflash. And what does he do? He says, man, this is, this is probably a setup. Now, see how I'm embellishing now? It doesn't say that. What it says is he tore his robes. What does that mean? Well, it's a sign of mourning. It's a sign of great distress. And guess what? When the king tears his robes, news gets around. 
And news gets around and it goes to Elisha. And what does Elisha say? <laughs> Elisha sends a, a message and he says, send this guy to me. Send this guy to me. So, before we go on to the interaction between Elisha and Naaman, let's just think for a minute about the king of Israel. He knows two things. He can't cure skin diseases, okay? And he feels threatened by forces outside his control. Another way of saying these things, he's not God and he knows it. It's helpful to know that you're not God. It's helpful to know that you're not actually able to be in control of all your circumstances. And secondly, he knows that he has enemies. And uh, whether you and I are always aware of it or not, we have enemies. They're often not flesh and blood. They're often something else. But this Israelite king knows these two important things, but he's forgotten the third thing that should go with them which is that there is a God in Israel, and he has a prophet by whom the king can get word from God. He's missed the solution to his problem, and so he's in great distress, obviously. Okay, Naaman goes to Elisha's house. We get into a series of problems here, because I'm going to call him Naaman now, why not? Is instructed by a servant, not by Elisha himself. What a breach of protocol. What an outrage. Second thing is he, he's, he's told he has to go to a river, and it's the Jordan. Oh, oh, what a lowfalutin river. And then third thing is he's supposed to be healed by washing. By washing. What? He, he expects some cool wizard tricks, some incantations, some demonstration of cool power, not washing in a muddy river. And Naaman, as the storybook said, is proud. He's got a pride problem. He wants to take the highway of dealing with things. And that reminded me as I was thinking about that, if you go out these doors and just outside this building and look up under the cover, there is a skylight. And into this skylight, several times in the time that I've worked here, have been birds. A bird will get itself up in the skylight. And I want to tell you, I have never seen a bird up there, shook my head, went away for a while, came back, and the bird was gone. Never once has that happened. Why? Because the bird always continues to try to fly up to get out. I know how to get out, it's to fly higher, the bird says. That's not how you're going to get out of that. All it has to do is fly down like a foot, and then it's going to be free, but it never occurs to the bird. And so last time it happened, uh, Sean took a, a little garbage can and a broom and got it in there and got it out. Super traumatic for the bird, but guess what? It's the only way it was going to get out. Naaman's got a similar problem. There is one way out as far as he's concerned, and this isn't it. So, he hasn't been shown the respect that he feels he deserves. And then, as the screen says, um, he, he expects cool tricks. Um, in between them, the Jordan is wimpy compared to the rivers of D Damascus. The Jordan is a wimpy river. It's not my 
a high river. Um, when we were in San Diego, we went to the safari park. And we got to go in a truck and get pretty close to, to some of the animals. And so we saw a giraffe. Do we have a picture of a giraffe in the, the slides this morning? Yeah, okay, so um, I don't remember what this giraffe's name is, but maybe even from a distance you can see its, it's big eyebrows, or eyebrows, eyelashes, that morning, I'm sure. And not this giraffe, but another giraffe that the caretaker had worked with, she was explaining to us, as they get old, you know, tall creatures, they, they have a lot of stress on their joints, it, it gets hard. Your joints just don't respond the same way as you get older. Anybody feel that? <laughs> yeah, okay. And so that's what the doctor, the veterinarian, prescribed anti-inflammatories. So, you know, giraffes on Advil. How do you administer Advil to a giraffe? Well, she said, you give him one leaf of regular lettuce, you spread some Advil paste on the next one and feed it to, and you alternate like that. But the giraffe... After the first day, they could see how well he was moving again, how much more energy and freedom he had. But soon, when that Advil-laced lettuce came, ugh, he spat it out. I don't want that. That's no good. I realize I want to feel good, but the giraffe can't connect them. Or if he can connect them, he doesn't care. And Naaman's stuck in giraffe land as well. He goes in a rage, and he is going to dip on the whole situation rather than subject himself to the indignity of this prescription, which is not at all what he wanted. It's his only way to freedom, but he doesn't care. Now, fortunately, <laughs> he was going to get some healing. But also, fortunately, God knew his situation better. And I'm just going to repeat part of what the storybook said, because I think it said really well, God knew that Naaman was even sicker on the inside than he was on the outside. I might have you fooled, but I don't have God fooled. Naaman was proud. He thought he didn't need God. His heart didn't work properly. It couldn't feel anything. You see, he had leprosy of his heart. God was not only going to heal Naaman's skin, he was going to heal his pride. And thank God that he can do that. Now, the storybook tells us that Naaman wanted to pay Elisha. But Scripture has a little detail in there that I want to highlight for you in verse 15. Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. So please accept a gift from your servant. And he's got all this money, and he's got all these clothes, and he wants to give them to Elisha. He, he came for a healing he deserved, but he was willing to pay for it. But that's not the deal that God was offering through Elisha. And the text doesn't explain why Elisha turned it down, but he did. But after he offers a gift to Elisha, he asks for a weird gift of his own. He says, look, I've got a couple of mules here that I've set aside. I want you to load them up with dirt. Israelite dirt. What's that all about? He's thinking about the God of Israel being a national God. 
So I'm in Israel. The God of this place has healed me. He's the one who's demonstrated power. He's the one who's real. And in his mind, the only way that he can worship this God, now that he's met the one true God, he wants to worship him, and he can only do that on Israel's soil. So I don't know if he's going to take the dirt back and make an altar and make sacrifices on it. I don't know if he's going to make an altar and pray at it. I don't know if he's going to put it in his prayer closet on the floor, and that's going to be his little taste of Israel where he can worship God. But in some way or another, he recognizes that he needs to connect with this God, and in his mind, that's the appropriate way. It's interesting. For the first time, Naaman is recognizing what or particularly who is real in this world. But he also has another strange request in the text. He says, look, I got to go back to my job. I got to go back to my country. And guess what? They don't worship the God of Israel there. They worship the God of Syria, of Aram, probably a God named Rimon, probably a storm God. And he says, look, my king, he's getting up there, and he needs my arm when we bow down to Rimon in the temple of Rimon. He needs me down there, and he needs my help getting up. And so I'm going to go through all the actions of worshiping my national God to fulfill my obligation to my king and to my country, but I want you to know, and I want forgiveness in advance for this, I'm not worshiping. My real worship is connected to the God of Israel and to show you how much I, I mean that, I want to take dirt from here. Okay, this isn't how we solve our problems. He, he's, he lacks information about who God is and what God wants. But as far as he can understand it, he's doing the best he can to fulfill his obligations and at the same time worship this God, this powerful God, this only God that he's finally met. And you know, he's going through the motions. And I thought, how many of us are going through the motions? How many of us show up physically, but we're not, we're not present? We're not present mentally. We're not present emotionally. We're not present spiritually. How many of us show up, put something in the offering, but it's out of almost superstition rather than a desire to give something to God? or the work of the gospel. How many of us come and we are happy to interact with somebody at arm's length, but we certainly aren't coming to a community group and something as well as a cohort is frightening because we might get into reality. Okay, well, what if we've got doubts, but we don't, we don't care enough or we don't trust enough to be able to talk to somebody who could help us work through it. And my hope is that you and I will continue to further encounter the real God and better understand who He is and what He wants, that we'll experience His real love and His real grace and His real peace and His real mercy in ways that sustain us, that grow us. And I'm hoping that if, if you, and to the extent that I am going through the motions, that our heart, our mind, our actions will... will together follow more and more God's intention and God's plan for us and be connected. For all of us, I think this morning we have an opportunity to think about the girl who could have treated her master as an enemy and didn't. 
Church family, I want to tell you this isn't normal in any age, in any place. You don't treat people who mistreat you, right, as though they're beloved friends, and yet that's exactly what she does. And it's exactly what our king asks of us. Luke 6, 27 and 28, Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, but to you who are listening, got near using it? I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. And if you go, that's impossible, that is Jesus' point. You can't accomplish this. You need me to accomplish it for you. And then you need to keep bowing to me for real, not going through the motions, and be willing to endure some things you wouldn't choose to endure for my sake and for the sake of others outside yourself. So it's impossible to ask that of you, and I don't do that, but, but Jesus doesn't call you into his kingdom and leave you to your own devices. He is going to provide what you need. Oftentimes, they're not going to make any more sense than Naaman washing in a dirty river is somehow going to make his skin clean. And yet, that was his intention, not because the washing was the point, but because getting in God's plan was his point. Paul talks about uh, who God is to a bunch of Greeks who don't know him in Acts chapter 17. It'll take us a while to get there in our Acts series, so here's a little teaser. Uh, Acts 17, 24, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything else. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. God can be known friends. He wants us to understand who he is and what his plan and program are. Okay, you and I can help people know him simply by sharing like the little girl did, however small an amount we know about him. And that's why we support Sam and Smy in Cambodia. Uh, Sam, by the way, is recovering nicely from rubella. Uh, he had been vaccinated as a child, but guess what? Cambodia hasn't been easy on his body, but it hasn't touched his attitude. He is in God's hands, and it is so encouraging to me to talk to a guy who's faced the kinds of stuff he's faced and is still raring to go. We also did some things. We, we supported a church plant in 2021. We gave some money to some churches or some organizations that are doing church revitalizations in 2021. But as we closed out 2021, we took walks in, in our neighborhoods. We were praying. We were distributing invitations to come to Christmas Eve or whatever. And as we're looking toward 2022 in earnest, I want you to think with me and with us about doing more than leaving a flyer. If you're like me, nobody's ever left a flyer that made me jump up and down and wanted to respond to it. 
But somebody might offer to do something for me that would help. So I have a question for you. I'd really like an answer. I want the answer so much that I made a cheesy piece of paper uh, with a word search on the back. And on the front, in the bottom right corner, there's a pre pre-cut so that you could tear it off, little thing, and it says, what can we do? And I'll give you, uh, we've already got it. What can we do for our neighbors for their benefit? Let me give you the one example I've come up with. I looked in my garage, and I've got gallons and gallons of paint cans that don't match anything currently in the house. They haven't dried out, so I can't just throw them in the trash, but getting them all to the paint store to recycle them is clearly too much of a hassle for, for me. Maybe it's a hassle for my neighbors. Maybe we can drive you know, a minivan around and collect paint one day. This is the kind of thing that I'm thinking about. But I'm curious if you can think of a way of serving the people at Valley Village, which Church of the Valley started across the street. Or the neighbors that we have that we would like to connect with, not because we expect them to do something for us, but because we know a God who said, love people. And that means primarily the one another's. But that doesn't stop outside the walls of this building or at the edges of this property. And we'd like to do more in representing our loving God who reaches out. If you have an answer to that question, however frivolous or awesome it might be, and I'm not talking about, Mike, I'd like you to do this ideas, okay? I'm thinking more like, hey, Mike, I'd like to be part of doing this ideas. There's not a lot of space there, so summarize as best you can. And just on the way out, there's an offering box to the, the right of the exit doors. Just drop it in the slot there. You don't have to put anything else in there. You can just put that, that little sheet of paper. I'd love to hear whether you've got an idea, and I promise I will read them all. I'll consider them all. I'll pray about I do not promise that we will do any of them, okay? This isn't a deal. This is brainstorming. Okay. Well... While we're heading back into this story, um, we've got to think about Naaman. He wanted God to deal with him on his own terms, but he came to know him as the one who gets to determine what's right. That's important. Given where the world is going, I don't know that I feel comfortable with the trajectory that it's on, and I'd like God to straighten out a bunch of stuff. I don't know if you feel the same way. But the question that's really pressing on us isn't, why isn't God doing his job? The question that's pressing is, why is it so hard for me to pray sincerely for people who treat me like an enemy? If you don't have a problem with that, I'd love to talk to you about how you got there. The more general way of asking this is, what is frustrating me because my hope is in something other than God. What's frustrating me because my hope is in something other than God? I don't know what your something might be. Could be a relationship, whether positive or negative. Could be your work, your housing situation. It could be your financial present. It could be your financial future. Could be dreams that you have or that you had that aren't playing out the way that you want. 
It could be that you feel like you've done everything right and things haven't played out the way they ought to. It could be a strength or weakness in yourself or in somebody that you depend on. And the only fix for that is to fully depend on the one person in the universe who can be depended upon to always be faithful, to always be right, to always be kind, and to always be just. Here's what Paul says in his first letter to Pastor Tim, chapter 6, verses 17 and 18. Command those who are rich in this present world, and whatever your situation is, that's us, not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, be rich in good deeds, and be generous and willing to share. He doesn't say be good so God will take care of you. He says God is certain and can provide everything we really need. Sometimes that takes giving up control, not being a bird, not being the giraffe, and experiencing what Naaman experienced requires us to put new soil into our lives, new ways of doing things that are in harmony with God's desires for us. How beautiful is the good news that God can take us the way we are with all our kicking and screaming and reconcile us to him. Because the central character of our story the one with the real power, the real answer, and the real outcome isn't Naaman. It's not either of the nameless kings. It's not the little girl. It's God. God's power is on display in this story. God's plan is on display in this story. And God's compassion is on display in this story. And if you didn't think Second Kings was going to be a place that you were going to find those things, guess what? There is a consistency to Scripture that's worth investigating. And this girl, despite what she had experienced, cooperated with God and allowed Naaman to know him. Imagine, what if there were someone who came and was willing to reconcile every wayward sinner to God, like me and like you? Wait, that's why we're here. Because the one who came, who is God, who is man, who was and is and is to come, he's the one who unites us, he's the one who transforms us, and he's the one that we're going to continue to worship. Malik, would you come up? We're going to sing in a moment. Let me, let me pray for us. God, I am so grateful that Naaman didn't have to be cleansed in order for you to receive him. I am so grateful that the little girl didn't have to have a theology degree in order to know that you could help Naaman. And I am so grateful that you did something in her heart that allowed her to care for somebody who she could have written off as an enemy and that you transformed Naaman's heart and erased not only his skin disease, but his sin and his pride. Would you deal gently with us as well? Would you allow us to know you and follow you in a way that allows others to be intrigued by you and want to have 
what we've experienced. I ask this in the name of the one who came to make it possible, Jesus Christ. Amen.